0: Hey, everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone, to the journey, the journey of Moses, and really our journey as well, right? Because as we interact with scriptures designed to walk us walk alongside of us, to give us opportunity to not only interact with it, but also apply it and draw encouragement from it. If you draw condemnation, if you hear like this angry voice whenever you listen to the voice of God, then I, I think you're, you're, you have some evaluation opportunities. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how else to put that. I mean, I used to know how else to put it. I used to just say, well, then you're just wrong. But I just think you have an opportunity to evaluate um, your position regarding uh, you and God. Because a lot of times when we hear condemnation, we put God in as the master over all things. And we are one of those things. And even though he loves us and ultimately will let us go into heaven, right now on earth we suffer and we sojourn and we survive And we keep reminding ourselves that we are sinners and God's disappointed and angry and probably wants to kill us. But Jesus, oh, Jesus keeps him from doing it. But man, God really wants to. He really wants to get us, wants to get us bad. So it's interesting how God just drops things into my life as I'm recording that I think, wait a minute, that's exactly what I'm gonna to record tomorrow. And yesterday was one of those opportunities. I was just sitting minding my own business and my wife said, Hey, did you listen to this little like not the whole teaching, but someone put like a clip of one of their one of their uh teachings that we follow, a uh, wonderful young lady by the name of Rema. Rima trainer she uh she just posted this little thing on the word Yahweh and she broke down she broke it down like this and so I give it to you because I think it's important so the 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 name right when when Moses says uh you know who who am who am I going to say sent me Moses uh this is in verse 14 so this is where you know something we cover today but I'm gonna I'm gonna hit it now just because, verse fourteen. Uh, God says to Moses, "I am who I am. This is what what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you." So those are that word Yahweh is of course not really a word. It's four symbols, and each symbol has its own meaning. Now the Hebrews generally didn't speak those symbols. They didn't want they they had other. Other words, and there's there's a lot to it in that it means uh, the symbols are spoken with with breath, breath out and breath in. So it's literally you're breathing the words, the the word of the word God. You're you're breathing. He is our breath of life, right? And and that is that is one amazing teaching. My wife does that teaching. She does an amazing teaching on this breathing. We actually literally breathe out the praise of God every time we breathe because we say His name. We are lifting up His name just to exist. But as Raymond was teaching uh, this little, and again, I didn't I didn't hear the whole teaching. But in this in this little thing, she said um, the symbols mean. Behold the outstretched hand. Behold the nail. So her point was, even when he introduces himself to Moses, what he says is, if you want to know me, you have to look to Jesus. You have to behold the outstretched hand. You have to behold the nails, which goes into another whole paradigm as to, you know, did God kill Jesus or... Or did did we kill Jesus? Or I guess "or" is not the right uh, name in there because I'm giving you three options. But or did Jesus lay down his life for us because we needed a sacrifice in order to in order to understand and really believe that we were who God said we were? Like somehow, and and, that, and again, that's another huge uh, paradigm that that. I've you know, worked through, and that periodically comes into our, into our story as we move along. But especially as we get toward the end of Exodus, where we talk about the, quote, sacrificial system and why it was implemented. But here in chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus, God introduces himself and at some level says, when you want to know me, you need to, you need to know Jesus. You need to look at Jesus and we do that in the Old Testament, and I believe, and I don't say this out of out of anything other than my own personal research. I don't believe anyone else has, has filtered and told the stories of the Old Testament with Jesus as their as their representation of God. And if Jesus is our representation of God, if He is the perfect picture of God on earth if he shows us the character of God and the behavior of God, then God doesn't kill and destroy and bring sickness because Jesus never did that to people. He did kill a fig tree. And in the context of that, he was teaching his disciples the importance and power that he was giving them with with their tongue. He was giving them that kind of authority that what they spoke would happen. And as I've periodically mentioned before, I think that's exactly what Peter did when Ananias and Sapphira were killed. He spoke out death and death happened. He knew the power of the tongue. He was offended by Ananias and Sapphira lying to them. He had a word of knowledge from Holy Spirit that they were lying. And instead of just confronting them and encouraging them to walk closer to God, he kills them for it. And I believe that this is what happened because it says at that point, the people became afraid and no longer met in the synagogue. They were afraid to go to Peter. An encounter with God doesn't cause that kind of fear. Yes, yes, it causes humility, and you may feel overwhelmed by His presence, much like Moses did here at the burning bush. He was overwhelmed with the love of God. The love of God can feel crushing. It, It it's it's a weight, and I've seen I've seen it. I've seen it. You know, and I've felt it. It's overwhelming. But it doesn't cause you such fear that you never want to go back. It just, it, it causes such overwhelming gratitude that you, you literally wonder if you can, if you're going to live through it. It's amazing. And when you get up from it, when you, when you walk, you know, walk out of that experience or when, as some, some Christianese, right, you could say when the glory lifts, it's, It's spectacular. And you never forget it, and that's what—that's the experience that Moses is going through right now. And as we read through this, it's going to look like that. (coughs) Excuse me, hang on. Whoo! It seems so weird. I have something in my throat. I haven't eaten anything today. I've just had a cup of coffee, anyways. Uh, as we go through this it's going to look like it's going to look like by the translation that we're given that god wants to smite the egyptians and kill them all for being egyptians like for being secular for not following him and going uh going to use you know mind trickery and and all this to to harden Uh, pharaoh's heart on purpose so that he will refuse the request so that god will have an excuse to wipe people out because this is the angry god of the quote first covenant this is a god who just wants to kill everyone and he just can't wait and so he's manufacturing an opportunity to wipe out an entire nation of people men women children all the children yes but he's justified. He's a holy God. I mean, surely God wouldn't commit genocide. That's something humans do because we come from a sin nature, but God comes from a pure nature, so when he does it, everything's fine. We just need to fear him and humbly serve him and and pray pray the right prayers so that he'll let us into his heaven and then everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. And I say that in a sarcastic manner I say that to try and point out the irony of the of the preaching that so many people come from the quote gospel of God's love to the to the world is is wrapped around this fact that that they present God as this angry God who you need to appease and if you don't like this is this is your one chance if you don't pray the prayer in this meeting right now, you can walk out today, get run over by a truck and man, God's going to send you straight to hell because he can't wait to get you. But he loves you. He cares for you. He sent his son to die for you. Receive that gift or die and go to hell. Anyways, it's a it's a fascinating paradigm that so many people have lived in, right? So, what are we going to do? Well, let's read some verses and work our way through this. I don't know how far we'll get. We'll see. The Lord said, "I have indeed, this is verse 7 of chapter 3. I have indeed seen the memory misery memory, the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So, I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the in out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a home the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians that they are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. This will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And God said to Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is, the, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Right that whole I am thing. look to Jesus, the breathing in and out of the of the name of God. You will call me this forever. right Even remember it, it, maybe you don't, but in the New Testament, Jesus stands up in the temple, he's there one of many, many weeks to where he's there and he reads from the book of Isaiah and he's you know he calls himself God. He calls himself this. And then again in in the New Testament where he's standing and he and he does the whole I am statements. He's saying, "I am I am the bread of life. I am the vine. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light." He's 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 reminding people, "I am the God of the Old Testament." We cannot look at the Old Testament and not look at it through the filter of Jesus. If we do, we are separating something that was never. You can't separate the Trinity. I mean, we we talk about it in three, you know, in three parts, and and we can find them if, if you you know if you followed me, uh, in season one we see him right there at the beginning. We see all three parts of the Trinity represented at, in at the creation, and and again in the New Testament it's presented again, and you see all three. It's not a word in the in the word in the Bible. I understand that. People love to point that out. Well, Trinity is never used in the Bible. I know. But all three parts are there, but they're never meant to be separated ever. So you can't look at this and say, "Yes, we've got an angry God, but we got a really nice Jesus and that's the one we're going to focus on." No, we focus on Jesus the whole time. The whole time. So when the Lord says well, even now, sorry, a side note, right? It says uh, last last week, right, the angel of the Lord was in the flames. And who is that? That is Jesus. Theologians, uh, even very few theologians will argue with this point, that the angel of the Lord is the name for Jesus in the Old Testament. So Jesus is here. And if you're saying that Jesus is a good guy, God is a bad guy, then it's Jesus here that says I'm going to I want to kill everyone. Now now, you know, uh you just there's so many inconsistencies that theologians have to the, the gymnastics you have to do to keep that picture of God is crazy and yet so many people believe that you know, this position that I take and I'm not the only one in the world that has ever taken it but when they hear things like this, and I've I've spoken to my several of my friends who are very astute bibliologists, they know the Bible really well. And when they hear this this kind of view, they they man, it just gets their hackles up. They think, no, this can't be true. God no, no, that's not, no. And it's like, well, then we, it's the most consistent view it's the most consistent view and you have also have to remember this this whole history right is written as a history it's not written in real time moses is looking back at this and from his perspective if i don't give god credit for everything that i'm taking glory from god this is a this is a perspective about god that the hebrews have had for years and continue to have So as he's writing the history that he went through, as he's writing these events down for the world to hear and see, he's giving God credit for things that I don't think God ever intended to have credit for. He's writing it from a perspective that says God does everything. Don't mess with God. He's writing it to a group of people that he believes need to be contained because if they're not, they'll they'll run off and do crazy stuff. Because he's seen it. It's it's fascinating how translators and interpreters of the Word of God. You can't help but get yourself out of the way, and uh, not out of the way. You can't help but keep yourself. You're in the way. Your perspectives get in the way. My perspectives get in the way. Let's just be honest. All right. Sorry, man. I don't, uh, we, uh, we did read. Yes. So we are theoretically on this journey today. (laughs) So God says in verse seven, that he has seen, he has paid attention to what's going on and their cries of oppression. I don't think, uh, were any surprise to God because he, it's not like he walked away. He hasn't ever forgotten them. He's paid attention. He's reached out to them, but they put their trust in the political system. They put their trust in their elders. They, they liked the, the world that they had. They were trying to recreate it, trying to get back to the way it was, back in the good old days. But, but I find it interesting that he says they're they've crying out because of their, their slave drivers or their taskmasters. To make a note in this particular, you know, in the way that this is written, means that that it the taskmasters have become the driving political force in Egypt. They are the ones with the power and authority. The that maybe the pharaoh's weak, maybe he's scared of them, maybe the pharaoh's uh, political adversaries have turned the taskmasters into kind of a mob uh, of hitmen. Who accomplish what they want done and if and if anybody threatens their politi- their political agenda they're just wiped out taskmasters just wipe them out they are they are a brute force in the nation and everybody knows it you could call them like the gestapo you could call them uh the brown shirts these are historically you know the the private guard what what did what did uh Ira- iraq call them? The the executive guard, I forget, the red guard, like there's all kinds of names. Politicians, dictators, tyrants, they've all had these kind of police forces that that work for them. Politicized, uh, dynamic, dangerous, intimidating forces. And that's what the taskmasters have become. Now, I'm not saying that's where they started, but somebody saw what you know the potential for it and they weaponized it. And the Lord recognizes hey these are the ones these slave drivers i'm concerned about their suffering so i've come down to rescue them now the you know the the hebrews were hoping that the new pharaoh would bring some sort of relief we covered that uh, a couple a couple episodes ago that that was where their hope was but it didn't happen probably because the slave masters the taskmasters were promised more glory and more money and more influence if they intimidated and, and continued to gain power. When the, pharaoh, when the new pharaoh came, they took advantage of that little gap, that opportunity uh, was not wasted. And now they're even more powerful than ever before. That's, that's the way I'm reading this. It's become very dangerous to cross anyone who's friends with a slave master because you will probably die. Now, you know, on a on a logistical note, they gained that power through the things that they accomplished. They had basically rebuilt the nation through slave labor. They had expanded cities and created uh, magnificent architectural marvels through slave labor. They were given that they were given that kind of authority because of what they were accomplishing. And uh, they just continued to to grow in that power. I, I, I don't know many people who have ever had a position of power that didn't desperately hang on to it and want more of it. It's it's an amazing um, thing to observe throughout history. It's one of the things that that um, well we'll get into it later. All right, the verse. Let's get to another verse at least. Verse <laughs> verse eight. I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of all these people. <laughs> so God is going to provide a way out. I, this involves a choice to follow, right? This is an invitation to Egypt to let the, let this plan go through. This plan ends with the Hebrews back in the Promised Land. There is, please note this: there is no mention of mass death. There is no mention of destruction. There is no mention of wiping out the the uh, the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Peisites, Hivites, and Jebusites. There's no mention of it. He says, I'm leading them into the land that is the home of these people. Not, I'm leading them to war. I'm going to lead them and wipe out. I'm going to lead them and we are going to take over. That was never the plan. We've covered it a hundred times. It was never the plan. Did it happen? Yes. Why? I think because man interpreted God's plan and the only way that they could understand it actually occurring and being successful is if they, they did it in a battle format and that comes at a future season because we don't get to the promised land in Exodus. All we do is get out. But I just want to note as many times as I can throughout this epic narrative, the plan, the covenant, Every time God repeated the covenant, it did not involve weaponizing anything. We go all the way back to the first time he mentioned it. And and when Abraham interacts with him about it 20 years later, he says, how am I ever going to know when this happens? I'm not having any children. And uh, I know war isn't the issue. And I know buying up real estate isn't the issue. Or I could have been buying up real estate for years. And God says, you're going to know. You're gonna know because your your descendants are gonna be the number of the sea, you know, sea of the of the seashore and the stars in the sky. You're just gonna overwhelm the planet with the with the kingdom of God. That's that's how you're gonna know. So the plan hasn't changed. He's like, we're gonna bring them up. We're gonna bring them to this land that is the home of all these things. You're gonna, uh, he says. The cry of the Israelites, verse 9, has reached me, and I've seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of the, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Who am I to go? God said, this is who you'll be. da da da, da. I don't I, uh. Verse 10. Oh. Uh, two words will be clear. This is... Oh, go now. That's what I... Sorry, Verse 10. Oh, my notes are all over the place. Verse verse nine, and the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So this plan is not a trick. This plan is not a double cross. God's plan is about life. It's not about lying. He doesn't, uh, you know, send you or set you or set Egypt up to fail so he can somehow show up and be the good guy. He doesn't set up Egypt to be tricked so that he can send the plagues and kill a bunch of them. Listen, God knows the power of worship. He knows that three days of focus, focused worshiped in the wilderness will shift not only the nation of the Hebrews, but it will also bring freedom to the Hebrews and it will invite Egypt to also interact with and come alongside this God called Yahweh but he knows the enemy and he knows the enemy well and he knows he knows the people of Egypt and he knows their their loyalty and their commitment to their idols and the influence that they've allowed over them through demons and god knows that the pharaoh will probably refuse and he knows that he will probably want full control over the hebrews and he knows that the doors have been opened and the highway is open for the enemy to come in and s- and destroy, seek to dis- kill, steal, and destroy the land of Egypt. But God is going to invite everyone with a way out because God always brings life. Verse 10, So go now, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people of Egypt out this is not uh, you know these these two words need to be clear I need you to go now not delay. he's so confident in his plan and he's so confident in Moses that this is not like a forced move by God but a deep understanding of of all his people. he understands all the possibilities. And the results of those choices. And God knows that his people will be free. He sees all the ways that these things can go. And he says, this is going to happen. I'm really confident in you. And I'm really confident in this plan. This is going to be magnificent. And it should bring life and liberty. Not only to my people, but also to the land of Egypt. Because they are going to see what happens when a, when a nation worships me. They're going to see what happens. And they're going to want the same thing for their nation. Remember, the the plan of God, the covenant of God was was to reach the world through his people. It was never to create a nation that was exclusionary to the rest of the world. It was to create a nation that would infiltrate and magnetize people to God. The plan of the of, of Moses to go ask for three days three days of worship in the wilderness was to was to become a light in the wilderness so that Egypt and other nations would be like wow that's what we want think about the supernatural possibilities of a nation spending three days in worship the the supernatural breakouts of healings the restorations that would occur. the the inner healing that would that would occur the wholeness of people's beings to be in frequency with the creator and the creation this would have been this honestly would have been more magnificent than anyone has ever imagined that's the plan of God well why didn't God make it happen because God is a God of love and love allows for freedom and he honors and he loves his people. And if he controls his people, he's not loving them. And so there are choices that, are av- that, that Pharaoh makes and there are choices that Moses makes and there are choices that Aaron makes and there are choices that the elders make that impact the overall plan of God. But the plan of God is always life and it's always love and it's always available. He's going to give choices to people. And that's his plan, does he know the way that those choices will probably go? Yes. Does he predetermine the way those choices are going to go? No. No, because that's not the way of a loving father. That's the way of a dictator. And that is not who God is. So Moses has some concerns, and he lays those out, right? He says, uh, I'm not worthy. I lack the gifts for this task, which, of course, at some level we all know that's not true. Like his training is off the charts. His brilliance is off the charts. Yes, he has a stutter, but but that's not enough to keep you from but but it is if you're if you're not confident in yourself. I mean, how many of you have seen a friend who's really good at something keep telling you they're not good at something? And you have to keep saying, You are good at this, you are amazing at this. No, no, it's not good enough you know i'll be you know for me artists are are like this to me a lot right they do something and you and you say man i would pay so much for that and they say well it's not quite finished i'm not really happy with it it's like oh my gosh so moses has that moment i this that's fine i get it it's and it's fine to voice these concerns with god do you understand again the picture what's happening is here is he's having a conversation with jesus who is constantly aflame in a little fragile bush that's not being consumed. And we have no idea how long this conversation goes. Again, we read these verses like it happened in five minutes. Some people think it took up to a week that Moses was hanging out in the presence of of Jesus, in the presence of God. I've been in the presence of God. Trust me, time time disappears, and I am incredibly time-oriented. Like, ridiculously intuitively time-oriented. And I've had to learn to let a lot of that go on this, especially <laughs> over the years. But on this last nine months living in an RV, I can't tell you the, the number of times I've just been like, no, I just need to learn to relax. I, I'm not on a schedule. Even when I had jobs that didn't require me, you know, there are a lot of churches that didn't require me to be in, you know, in the office by a certain time. I I set a schedule for myself. I like to know I'm on time. I like to know I'm actually early, even if no one else knows internally, like it's just the way I'm wired. So we don't know how long Moses was there. And like I said, I've been in the presence of God and I, you just, you just don't know. Time just kind of goes. You don't know. You look up and it could be hours and it feels like seconds. It's a fascinating thing, the realm of eternity. And one of his second concern he had is, listen, Pharaoh, you know, Pharaoh and the Jews, they're not going to believe me. And God addresses that. And then he says, uh, the Hebrews... um, you know the Hebrews. The, I don't know if they're gonna if they're gonna take me serious. I don't know if they're gonna want to go. And God addresses that. Now, time, uh, Well, the the first objection, right, that he has is really, is really connected. It's connected to the prophetic promise that Moses would be back on the mountain with all his people and worshiping God and God would meet them there, right? The first thing God says is, uh, in verse 12, he says, and I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So his first objection there in verse 11 was was met immediately by God saying, listen, it's not only, I'm so confident in this that, this is my this is the sign to you that I'm with you. Like Moses wants a sign. <laughs> Moses wants a sign that he's the man for the job like right now. Like how am I going to know I'm the man for the job here now? I want to know now. And God's like, I'm going to give you a sign that's you know Whatever, months away. That's how you got to know you're the man for the job. And Moses is like, has to be thinking, oh, okay, that's awesome. Yes, Jesus. Uh, that's not what I was asking. <laughs> so many times we ask questions for God, right? And his answer is like, no, well, that is an answer. And it's an awesome answer. But it's so filled with confidence that 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 I don't know I don't know if I I, I, I don't have that kind of confidence. <laughs> oh, God's awesome. And in and in a lot of ways, what it, what God is saying is, listen, I'm going to make a promise to you, and if uh, in such a way that it calls out of Moses the confidence that God has in him. God doesn't give him a promise for the next day because he's like, Moses, I want you to know how confident. I'm so confident in you. You're going to be back here months from now. That's how you're going to know. Like I'm so confident in what I've put in you and, and your identity and who I am and your image of, of me on earth. I'm so confident that I can give you uh, you know, an a, a assurance that you'll be back here with everyone worshiping me. I think that's pretty funny. So, again, verse 13, Moses is like, listen, I'm going to be tested. No one's going to believe me. And God's like, all right, this is your answer to them. Give them my name. I am has sent you. And we covered that at the very beginning. This is this is God's answer to to his concern. They're not going to believe me. Well, yes, they will, because you're going to tell them who sent you. You're going to tell them my name. And they're going to breathe my name every day. They will call me that name forever. They will look to Jesus throughout their entire life. And then uh, really, well, did we get through? Let me just read a few more verses there. Uh, Verse 16 God says, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, God, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and I've seen what what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzocites, Hivites, and Jebusites to a land flowing of milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to our Lord. I'm just going to continue. But, the, but I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and instruct the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman will ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of gold and silver and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. The plan will be accepted and the plan will be uh, will be, um, you know, accurate. It's going to be presented, and it will be accepted, and it will be accurate, and the elders are going to listen to you. Now, he knows that the elders are in a position to listen because they're finally in a position where they're praying and crying out to God that has, in essence, required God to respond. And God's response was right away. The time of of how long it took from the response of Moses to God is, is something none of us know. But even in this moment, I mean, even if Moses left in that second that God said, go now, it's still going to take days, if not at least a week or more to get there. So it's it's it, as, as immediate as God wants it to be, it's not immediate in reality. And that's okay. But he knows the elders are ready. For over 40 years, they've tried to change policy since Moses left. And it, and it hasn't worked. It's only gotten worse. And especially now under a new pharaoh, new policies that have been enacted. They are ready for leadership. They are ready for someone to take them up and out. They are defeated. They are wounded. They are rejected. Their egos are hurt. They need somebody else to take, you know, to take the lead. They and, and God knows this. Not because he's forced them into that position, but because he knows his people. He knows his creation. He's like, don't worry, this is going to work. God isn't controlling actions. He's, he's predicting it because he knows them so well. And also, again, remember, this is written as a history. Uh, this is written from the memory of Moses, a perspective that says, I'm going to give you know God credit for moving mountains and for... And for you know designing this plan, but the plan, as is repeated here, still doesn't involve killing everyone. God's like my you know my mighty hand compels them. He's going to do signs and wonders, but he doesn't say I'm going to wipe out the nation. The land uh, would become theirs by blessing and by favor. This comes from, you know, from heaven. This is, a, this is creation principles, not death and destruction principles. He says, I want you to meet with Pharaoh. I'm going to give you access to the elders because they are ready to listen. He lets them know, listen, you're going to go before Pharaoh. No one has any ill will towards you because of what happened last time. You're going to be fine. Now this this is uh you know this is a reasonable request. You're going to go to Pharaoh, you're going to ask for to go 3 days journey to worship God. You're going to basically come back to this mountain. You're going to worship God here. And again, I believe it was an invitation to to Egypt to to release freedom to their people. He, Egypt has no idea how oppressed they are by the enemy at this point. They don't understand how controlled they are by the whims of the of the of darkness god's like i'm going to send you 3 days out i'm going to show up in such a mighty way that it's going to bring freedom and life to everyone in the world this is always god's plan this is why jesus said i want you to bring heaven to earth because it's the idea is each each person each family that knows and loves god is going to be a light and draw people to him they're going to want to be a part of this culture. When God says, I will smite the Egyptians, what he's saying is, listen, unfortunately, I know the answer they're going to give. I'm going to have to show up in a mighty way because, because I'm telling you now, the enemy cannot wait to kill these people. And the request I give to them that you're going to give to them that I'm giving you to give to them, will be an opportunity for them to connect with heaven, because I want to release life and redemption to them. But the enemy's going to see that invitation as as a threat to their to the enemy's power, to the, to the enemy's authority, and it's the enemy's going to want to destroy them, and he's going to start. Because unfortunately, I don't think the Pharaoh is going go to go with the choice that I'm giving him. I mean, there's a chance. There's always a chance. And God is so filled with hope that regardless of how small that, ho- that chance is, he's going to give that choice to that Pharaoh. <sighs> but in the end, the people are going to recognize what their gods did to them. And they are going to pour out their wealth on you. They are going to pour it out out of out of well, probably guilt, but not that that's from God. But God's like ask them, ask them for help, and they're going to help you. They're going to recognize that what they've done and 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 how they've treated you is not something that they should have done. That is something that they were. Coerced into doing through through their partnership with darkness, and they're gonna pour out wealth on you. They're gonna pour it out on you, and you are gonna leave with far more wealth than what Abraham came I uh, uh, Abraham than what Jacob came here with. And he is gonna let you go. It's a it's an amazing plan, and God is tremendously confident in it. And again, as far as I, I I know that people read into the mighty hand of God will compel them. They know the rest of the story, and there's they say, see, all these plagues are the mighty hand of God. God knows He's gonna wipe out the nation. I'm gonna say, uh, let's Continue this journey together. We'll see you again next week on the Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Pops. All right. I know. Listen, this this episode probably, this one could get me canceled. (laughs) I know I covered a lot of for some of you, some really crazy thoughts on theology on the front end of this episode. And and I did so for a couple reasons. I I do believe it sets up a lot of what we're going to study in the book of Exodus, because really we study the law. And is the law based on an angry God who is setting up an entire nation, generations of people to prove to them that they can't keep the law so that he can send his son thousands of years later after tens of thousands have died and gone to hell? Like, is he just trying to prove a point? And I have had theological professors and pastors teach from that perspective that that in his mercy and his grace god was teaching the world humanity that they couldn't keep the law and that they needed a savior i uh as i taught that and i believed that for many years until i came to this and it wasn't a it wasn't a sudden realization it was a it was a long journey and that's why i I kind of, when I listened to, <laughs> to this episode, I thought, dang, Bob, like you just you just gave a 10-year journey in 10 minutes and people aren't ready for that. And so I've, I apologize if some of you were were just sitting there going, whoa, 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 where did all this come from? But if you have been listening to the epic, epic narrative, you, you have heard these themes be woven into my thoughts previously and into my storyline and and into the whole concept that God is good and always has been good. And this is this book of Exodus is kind of where well, it started in Genesis, but a lot of people go to Exodus because of the law to to kind of bolster their point. And I don't I don't I'm not going to stand here and say they're all dead wrong. They're incredibly intelligent highly motivated people and and academically far superior to me in most cases. So <clears throat> I understand that some may hear this and and really want to come at me and and I don't blame you and feel free feel free but as you could hear in 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 this one uh Jesus Jesus is my first filter and I believe he was at the the burning bush and I believe that when Moses ultimately re you know wrote his memories from this time one of the things he did was was write it in a way that he thought the people the people needed to hear it and uh, that influenced the words he used and I think it influenced uh, translators in years to come that they portrayed aspects to God's character that I don't think are there. So sorry if I freaked you out. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stick with us and keep enjoying the, uh, the story, even if you don't like the theology. I think the story is there. What I have found that even though I have this radical view of the goodness of God and and, and the fact that he's never changed that character, his character of being good. Uh, I've never, I've never seen it change the dynamic of what God is trying to teach us. And uh, I, I, so, so I don't, I don't think I changed the Bible. Uh, yeah. Oh, so many thoughts. Listen, we don't have the time for it, but. Well, technically we do. It's a podcast. I could talk for hours. But let's just leave it at that. If, if today really freaked you out, I'm going to ask you just take a deep breath and keep listening. And those of you who are listening and you went, wow, that is exactly, like, that makes so much sense. Because I felt like that when I first heard it. Uh, yeah, then great. Uh, Let's, yeah, let's all continue this journey. And uh, thank you guys very much for your time. And for those of you who do support us, thank you for your support. Your gifts mean a lot. It means, uh, you know, for for, for somebody who is, you know, working part-time jobs and making $10 an hour and, just really kind of inching along until the Lord really opens something up. Your gifts really uh, matter. And uh, thank you very much. And if you want to give, the link is in the, uh, in the description of the podcast. It's also on my Facebook page. It's on my Instagram page. And uh, yeah, your gifts mean, mean a lot. Thank you very much. Have a good day, everyone. I'll see you next week on The Epic Narrative. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.